But let's pray out to the Lord as we get ready for this morning's message. God, you are good. And we cry out to a good God that loves us unconditionally. And Father, we pray that we would understand the depth of your love today. And Father, that we would love one another with your love that you extend to us. And and Father, we thank you for the gifts that you give us. We use them for your namesake, for your glory. Father, we pray that your name would be lifted high, that we would worship you, a good God. And Father, there's some that may be coming in today broken and just hurting and missing a loved one right now. And Father, we just pray that you would just reach out your hands of love and care and compassion and wrap them around them. And use the body of Christ to love on one another as well, that we would extend care and and compassion to one another. Father, we thank you that we get to share the good news of Jesus. We thank you for your word that keeps us uh, straight on the straight and narrow, Father. And we want to be living that light out for you right here in this community, in this state, in this nation, in this world, Father, for the glory of God. That's what we pray. So thank you for equipping us and using us. And every dollar that comes in would be used for your namesake and for your glory. We love you, Jesus, so much. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. We're going to be uh, in Judges today, Judges chapter 4 and 5. Uh, you can also follow along on the screen. We've been on the series in Judges for the last couple of weeks. We'll be continuing to work our way through the book of Judges as you want to read ahead. Last week we saw uh, a left-handed uh, judge, Ehud, right? And uh, his right hand of power was kind of crippled. And so God still used him in a mighty way. And we saw that last week. I got to tell you, I grew up with... I, I have, uh, Catherine and I, we have three boys, right? Most of you know that. Um, but I, we don't have any girls, so it's like I, I kind of missed out on all the, the pink stuff, okay? But some of you have little you know, girls, and you've been raising girls, and it's so important that they see themselves in the scriptures and what God's got for them. I grew up with three older sisters, okay? So I did know a thing or two about uh, some girls, and uh, it was a lot of fun, but also a lot of trouble. I got dressed up a lot, I think, from time to time, and uh, I, you know, had to admit, whatever they needed a doll, I would be that doll. But I want to see, today is the only judge, the story of Deborah we're going to be looking at is the only female judge. So guys, I don't want you to know, it's not time for us to zone out. I really believe there's plenty for us to learn in this passage as well. So we're going to dive in here. Judges chapter 4 is where we'll begin. You can follow along the screen or if you have your Bibles, be reading along. This is what it says. In chapter 4, verse 1, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that, you remember, left-handed Ehud, we talked about him last week, was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Uh, Caesarea, the commander of his army, it says, had 900 chariots fitted with iron. Now we talked about a couple weeks ago, those iron chariots. Remember, that's why they didn't take over the place. They said, oh, Lord, they've got iron chariots. Those iron chariots are like today's tanks. They could take out, you know, foot soldiers, dozens and dozens of foot soldiers all by themselves. And they have 900 of them, okay? They cruelly, it says, and they cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. And Israel cried to the Lord for help. They cried out to the Lord. Verse 4 says, Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lipidoth, was a leading Israel at the time. 
She held court under the palm of Deborah, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes settled. So she decided all kinds of things. People would say, hey, whose fence is this, right? And they would say, you know, what, who, who's got to shovel snow today? And she would decide all of these things, okay? So that's what was taking place. The verse 6, she sent to Barak, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men. In verse 7, it says, I will lead Sisera into your hands. Verse 8, Barak said to her, I will go, uh, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. So you can imagine Deborah says, ah, takes a big sigh. She says in verse 9, certainly I will go with you. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, but the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Verse 11, now Heber the Canaanite uh, had separated from the Canaanites and had pitched his tent up by the oak of Zaninan, which was near Kadesh. Now, this seems like kind of a strange, random detail that we get here. All of a sudden, he's been talking about Deborah and Barak and this huge battle that's about to take place. Then all of a sudden, he kind of digresses to about this, you know, this guy with his wife. They're kind of upset with their neighbors. And so they say, you know what? We're going to pack up our camper and we're going to go live somewhere else in the desert. And that's kind of what they do here. And it seems kind of random, but we're going to see here in just a few moments how important that little detail is it plays into the story. Verse 12, uh, Deborah directs Barak, hey, take your army down to the region at the base of Mount Tabor, and there's a river basin there, and that's going to be a very significant detail as well. So they were to take their army down to this river basin. Verse 14 is where we'll continue on. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. I want you to know here, we're going to find out in, in chapter 5 the reason Sisera had to flee on foot. There was this sudden rainstorm, okay, that came down and flooded that river basin that they went down into. And so those 900 chariots, remember those 900 chariots, how powerful, how awesome they are. They can del you know, deliver them, but they were just spinning in the mud, right? Because of this rainstorm, they were completely useless. And what's remarkable about this story is that it all took place during dry season, okay? When it never rained. Because if Sisera thought that there was any chance of rain that day, he would have never had his chariots go down into that river basin. Because he knew that they would be stuck, he knew that they would be useless and like dead weights. And it's like, it's like the snow we had last night. But instead of, you know, in the middle of January, it would be in July. And you're like, wow, this is incredible. So it really came out of uh, another word. It's, it's another way that God uses these little miracles that he turned that great advantage Sisera had, 900 chariots, into dead weight. And that's what the mighty God can do in your life as well. I want you to know. Amen. That's right. So Sisera was on foot. He's running off. And here's what he comes to. This is where that person who went and moved their, your, their camper. This is it. Verse 17 says, To the tent of Jael, the, uh, Sisera's running. He comes up to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, 
Um, and, and remember that tent that was all out in the middle of nowhere. This is another miracle of God's providence. Okay, it's right where Cicero was running through where he parked his tent. Okay, verse 18, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. He says, verse 19, I'm thirsty. He said, please give me some water. Instead of water, she opens up a skin of milk and gave him a drink and then covered him up, kind of tucked him in with a little blanket says, there you go, and sings him a little lullaby, and guess what? He falls into uh, sleep, starts snoring, and then in verse 21, this is what takes place. Then Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly into him where he lay fast asleep. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Whoa, that got pretty heavy, right? You didn't see that coming, did you? You know, I don't even know if that last sentence, he died, was necessary, right? <laughs> because she drove the peg through his temple, you know, and so uh, and she comes out of the tent and she says, nailed it, right? Um, so <laughs> we're going to try to take some interesting, you know, lessons that we can learn from Deborah and Barack today. And so if you want to write these down, uh, there's a little spot in your bulletin. I'm going to give you five points today that you might want to dive into. And the first one is this. I want you to see, I want you to know God gives to women spiritual gifts just like he gives to men. He absolutely has a, a plan and wants to give to those women the spiritual gifts that he's given. This story, as much as probably any story in the Bible, gives us a glimpse into the role uh, that women have in the kingdom of God. Deborah was a prophet. She was wise. She was a respected leader in Israel. And some people say that Deborah is only leading because there, wasn't, uh, there was no men left to lead, which leads to the spiritual kind of uh, degradation of Israel at the time. But I want you to see here, friend, that's actually, there's nowhere in this passage that, that indicates that. And so what's true here is that we see, yes, Barak kind of wavers in his faith. But even before that, Deborah was an established leader. She was a teacher in Israel. And so, yes, this story takes place and it shows how she's using her gifting, what God had given to her. And so I want you to know there's kind of some myths in the church today that some say that, you know what, only men should be taught the deep, spiritual, rich theology. And friend, I want you to know women today absolutely should dig into the scriptures and be, know the scriptures because they're given spiritual gifts just like every man. I got to tell you, our women of hope in this ministry, in this church is awesome, okay? They're incredible. There's women that study the scriptures down in room 108 and they get into the word. They pray. It's very powerful and they have gifts and they, you know, our women of hope ministry teaching us to, to be better leaders for the Lord about better um, women and mothers as well and how God has equipped us. And that's good. Now I want to be clear here as well. The scriptures in both the Old and New Testament do establish certain positions that he only wants certain men to play, only wants men to play, and certain positions that he only wants women to play as well. Just to give you an example, in the Old Testament, for example, women could not be priests, okay? And, uh, and here in this story, Deborah, you know, when she's asked to basically, he's, Barak says, I'm not going to do it unless you go. She doesn't say, okay, I'll take it over. She doesn't, no, she says, I will go with you even as you lead. 
And also, if you notice, when she introduced herself in chapter 4, she is identified as the wife of Lipidoth. Okay, and so the writers never did that for, uh, for men. They didn't say Joshua, who was the son of, you know, the husband of Kim. They, but the writer was indicating that she was in a home led by her husband and that he has a role to play in that role as husband as well. So the New Testament, this is very clear, Paul talks about, gives this role. The, one of the roles that women should not play in is the elders of the church in 1 Timothy 2 and 3. But I want you to know that doesn't prohibit them from leading and using their gifts in powerful, awesome ways. And that just, you know, says just in that role of elder. So I want you to be very clear here, you know, uh, that we would eliminate, we would take on the Bible's, you know, teaching here that says, you know what, women have gifts just like men do and need to be used for the glory of God. And you have a role, and so I want you to see that today. Specifically, real quick, I want to talk to just the, the ladies here. Number one, I want you to know God has a calling for your life. He wants to use you in a powerful, powerful way. Like Deborah, she, she got into the fight. She used her gifts. She used her faith. So get into the fight. And when you do it, when you lead, also lead with that, that spiritual authority that's been, you know, that God's given to you. But also we can do it in a way of respecting God's order as she refused to kind of take that position that God had assigned to men and identified herself as under the household of her husband. But I want you to see, we, friends, we need more Deborahs. We need more Deborahs that would, you know, use their leading and their leadership and the wisdom that they've been given with courage and faith to speak truth and then use them for the glory of God. And men, I want you to know, if you're married to a Deborah, I pray that you would allow her to be used for the kingdom of God like Lipidoth did. He said he was under Lipidoth and he used that position to allow her to lead. So now for the rest of the four points, I want you to know Deborah goes into a song here. This is what the rest of chapter four and chapter five is. And so in this song, there's some really important lessons for both men and women. This is the second point I want you to see this morning. When leaders lead, the people of God praise the Lord. When God has equipped you with leadership and you lead like he's called us to lead, the people of God will, lead, uh, will praise the Lord. Deborah says this in chapter 5, if you want to go there, verse 2 and 9. This is what it says. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves... Praise the Lord. My heart is with the, the willing volunteers among the people. So here in verse 13, what she's going to do is she's going to start going through a list of tribes. Some of these tribes stepped up and they showed up to help and to jump in the fight. And some of these tribes didn't. They drifted back. So here's what I want you to see from verse 14. It says, Ephraim, they came, they helped. Verse 15, it says, Issachar, they were faithful and followed us and jumped in the fight. It says in verse 18, it says, Zeblin. Zeblin risked their very lives. Anyone from Zeblin that wants to help, you know, fight the, the fight of faith today? And then verse 17 is very interesting. This is what it says. However, Gilead remained in Jordan and Dan lingered with the ships. I want you to know, blessed are the ones who step forward in faith to fight and to lead. And since I spent a lot of time on the ladies in point one, I want to give you uh, the men. Uh, here's the deal specifically to the men. Sometimes we have a lot of men that are hanging back by the ship. 
right? Instead of when they're called to jump in and fight the fight of faith. And this is, you know, there's one way of reading Genesis chapter 3 where you could see the, the original sin, remember eating the apple, as kind of passivity on the part of the man. This is what, you know, God had given Adam a responsibility to lead his wife spiritually and also to serve and to protect her. In Genesis chapter 3, it doesn't really say this in our Bibles very clearly, but if you look at the Hebrew, it would actually say that, you know, he was with her. And when he says he was with her, it means like he was with her, like right next to her, okay? And he was probably thinking, you know what, I'm going to watch and see what happens when she takes a bite of that apple and see if she dies. And, you know, it's kind of the weak way out. And she was kind of, he was right there as well. And just like even Barack, Barack was, you know, kind of saying, I, I'm not going, I, I don't know if I'm going to go unless you go. And that's the great temptation for a lot of us. It's not to go off and do something horrible or evil or even, you know, wretched. The thing is, is a lot of us just do nothing. And we need, you know, uh, it's not about being such a bad guy. It's just we need to not be hanging out by the ships. We need to be leading as well. And it says in here, when princes lead, says Deborah, we praise the Lord. So men, there is a crucial role that we've got to play that cannot be replicated by anyone else in your family and in your church, okay? So if the people are God and the people in your, your family are going to praise the Lord, you've got to step forward and lead like God has asked us to. You guys know the statistics. The role of a father in the family is crucial. Same as in the church. The statistics show, uh, I've shared this before, but if a child comes, the first one to come to faith in a family... About 3.5% of the rest of the family will come to, the rest of the family will come to faith in 3.5% of the time. Uh, if the mother comes to the first one to the faith, then about 17% of the families will all follow. But if the father's the first one to come to faith in Christ, the percentage raises to about 93% will follow the Lord. So it says when princes lead, the pray, we praise the Lord. We willingly praise the Lord. And when princes abdicate those duties, the people suffer. And that's what we see. So friends, I'm just telling you, we've got, there's a lot of guys out in the world. We need some men, men that will step up and lead the church, lead their families, lead in the roles that God has called them to do. So that's the point number two. The third thing I want you to see as we dig on in this passage is God actually curses those that spectate, okay? I know this is kind of hard today, but I want us to, we have to dive through this passage. In chapter 5, verse 23, remember he's going through that list of people who helped in the battle, people who didn't help in the battle. And then he gets to verse 23 and he says this, curse morose, okay, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty, do you guys recognize, it doesn't say that they did anything bad. It just said that they did nothing, okay? And you guys have heard me say, you know, don't just make church a Sunday morning event where you stop in, you go home, do it in your way, plug in. But I usually say it's because you're missing out on something, which you are, the, the fellowship and the depth of being involved in the body of Christ. But the thing is, is it says in this passage, God curses this kind of inactivity. So... Not only are you robbing yourself of reward, but you're actually putting yourself under a curse. So the question is, is how are you using your time, your talents, and your treasure? 
You know what? You know, well, your time. I know people, I get it. We are incredibly busy. We pack it to the max. But the thing is, is there time that you can plug in and serve? We need some youth leaders right now. You know, maybe that's something you're like, I've got some gifts and some talents there. You know, how, how many of you know how to operate a computer or, you know, uh, stack chairs? Those are roles that we can all play and be used for his kingdom. And our treasures, how does God want to use that for his kingdom? I want you to know it's, there's more than one way to be wicked. It's not just about, you can be wicked by what you do, but you also can be wicked by what you fail to do. So, you know, Jesus, he comes and he says, you know what? He doesn't say, you know, watch me. No, he says, actually follow me. That's what he says. And so some of us today, you might need to say, I need to get involved. Where should I get involved? How can I find a place to serve? And I pray that God will lay that on your heart. The fourth point I want you to see this morning as we continue on, is I want you to see is that all that God requires of us is simple obedience. Simple obedience. Chapter 5, verse 24. We're going to dig in there. And I want you to see this is a reoccurring theme that we've seen in Judges and will continue to see in Judges. God brings down the most powerful tyrants with very weak instruments, Right? In, in this case, it's a housewife with a tent peg, okay? And I just want you to know, by the way, a tent peg at this time wasn't a item of, it wasn't a weapon. It was a common household item, okay? It was like, you know, a frying pan, right? Everybody that had a tent, they would have to stake it down on really windy days, so they had tent pegs around, so it's like she had a, a frying pan, and over and over and over again in the book of Judges, God does his work in the world through our availability. Not through our wonderful abilities, but just making yourself available. Here the, she, she says in verse 24, it says, The most blessed of women be jail. The most blessed of women be jail. A housewife with a frying pan said, Hey, here I am, Lord. Send me. Let me be used for your kingdom. And when it says that she was most blessed, who does that make you think of in the Bible? It makes me think of Mary. Yeah. You know, the angel, what the angel came and said to her, she said, blessed are you among women. And here you had a, you know, a, a virgin who was, found out that she's going to have a child and that child is going to be the savior of the world. And she has no ability to make this happen to her. But in her prayer, she says this, be it unto me according to your word. That's a prayer of surrender. That's a prayer of faith saying, God, I will do whatever you are asking me to do. And I'm going to trust you with the results and so that is how God brings salvation in this world. Are you willing to kind of have a prayer like that? Be it unto me, whatever you ask, Lord. Whether he says, you know, what are you asking me to give? I'll give it, Lord. You know, what, what are you asking me to trust you with? I will trust you with that. You asking me to have a season of rest? I'll, I'll have a season of rest. That's, you know, what is he's asking to do? Where do you want me to serve? I'll serve you there, Lord. And it kind of shows us, you know what, when you trust him like that, God will fight for you. That's what we have in our Savior, a, fighting, a Lord that will fight for us. Real quickly, I want to share with you kind of, a, kind of a contrast that he sets up here. Verse 6 in chapter 5 says this, In those days, the highways were abandoned and the villagers ceased. Okay, so in other words, the people were so weak, they couldn't even travel, okay? That's 
what we have in the people. And then go back to verse 4 in chapter 5. It says this, When the Lord went out, the earth trembled, and the clouds dropped water in dry season, and the mountains quaked. So you look at that contrast here. The, the people are so weak, they're not even traveling. The Lord goes out, and the mountains move, and the land crumbles, and there's trembling before him, and the rain comes in dry season. That's what happens when we obey and trust the Lord. He provides what we need, and he is good. And so I want you to know all it requires is simple obedience. Lord, where can I follow you? Where do you need me to follow you? The last point I want to give you this morning is this. I want you to know that God will right every wrong. Some of you come in here and you're hurt, and you've been hurt by people and things, and I want you to know God will right every wrong. Towards the end of Deborah's song, she begins to mock Sisera. And this is what, in verse 28, she, she kind of sarcastically puts words in the, the mother of Sisera's mother's mouth. And she kind of says, I wonder, you know, is this woman's peering out the window wondering, where is my son, Sisera? Why is it taking so long for him to return? And all the ladies around this mom are filling her ears with saying, oh, because there's so much Israelite plunder and spoils to divide up. And then they go on and they crudely say in verse 30, and there's a womb or two for every man. So in other words, this man has been taking advantage of women in a very crude way, in a very difficult way. But meanwhile, the truth is, Sisera's in a tent being killed by a woman. Do you guys see that? I, I hope you see that happening. Friends, that is what is called perfect justice, okay? Sisera had been spent his life oppressing women, and in the end, he was brought down by a woman and who, with a Hebrew version of a frying pan, right? And she took him out. And this is what verse 26 and 27, if you have your Bibles, I want you to know these verses are read kind of like a, a hammer. They're mimicking the blows of a hammer is kind of how they would be read. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. And then verse 27 says, Between her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet he sank, he fell, where he sank, there he fell, dead. I got to tell you, Israel loved these stories. They, they loved hearing how God would deliver them, and they loved to savor them. And that's what they do, were doing in retelling these stories. Deborah ends her song this way in verse 31 of chapter 5. It says this, So may all your enemies perish, Lord. May all who love you be like the sun when it rises in strength. So wouldn't that be great if there was always that good, happy ending where we saw the justice? But sometimes we, we don't see it always. But this story gives us a glimpse of how it's all going to end. God settles all scores. And this story is one of like the, all the stories in Judges. They point to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jael, who, who took this Sisera out, she was an unexpected savior in this situation. Everyone assumed she was weak and there was nothing she could do, but she slew the enemy by surprise. So in Christ, I want you to know, all oppression is dead. Justice gets restored for those of us in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, friends, you guys are aware of this. Eternity is coming. 
It is. It's, it's not that far away from us. And, and I want you to know, in that time, there will be no pain. There will be no sadness. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no mourning, no crying, and no pain. The old things will be passed away, and the new things will come. That's what we have in eternity. So, friend, do we need to take justice into our own hands? No. We don't need to because, let me tell you, the cross changed everything. Because of the cross, we see two things. Number one, we see that all wrongs will be righted. And number two, we see that the wrongs that I've committed were personally put on Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus. So that means I don't need to take vengeance into my own hands. I'm a forgiven man. And I know that every sin that's been committed against me will either be paid for in hell or by the same blood of Jesus that was paid for my sins as well. So I don't have to carry around that tent peg, you know, or that frying pan of justice for someone who's hurt me. We can let that go because my sin has been put on Jesus Christ. And if you're in Jesus, the same is true for you. So friends, I just want you to know, let us be bold in our faith to use the gifts that God's given us. He has given you gifts to be used for his glory. The second thing I want you to know, let's be obedient to him and go where he's called us to go. What is he asking you to, to do today? How to get involved and, and to serve the body of Christ. And third, make yourself available. That's all it is, simple availability. Not necessarily that you have some amazing abilities. It's making yourself available to the Lord and letting him use you. And finally, I want you to know the Lord, leave it all to him because he will settle all scores. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that we could dig into your word. And Father, sometimes there's uh, difficult, hard passages. And Father, we, we just pray that you would illuminate that truth in our lives, that you've equipped us and given us gifts and spiritual gifts to be used for your glory. And Father, we pray that you would raise up more Deborahs. Father, use us uh, to be uh, teaching the word of God and, and growing in the word of God and seeing uh, those in leadership be used for your kingdom. Father, so raise up more Deborahs. We pray that. And Father, I pray that we would be also raising up men of God that would follow you and stand up for you and get in the fight of faith and not hold back at the ship. Lord, convict us to, get in, to lead our families and to lead the church so that the people of God will worship you and the, the praises of God will be just uh, coming forth from, the, from this church body, Father. That's what we pray for. Lord, we pray that we would surrender ourselves the areas that you know that we, we're struggling, that we're holding back. God, I'm not going to give that. I can't, you know, give my time or those resources. I need them for, for what I want, Lord. Help us to surrender to you today, to sit down, to trust that you have good and mighty plans for us. Father, we thank you that you will settle all scores. Some of us have been deeply hurt, and there's wounds that we can't even start to express. And Lord, we feel like we want to get vengeance, but Lord, the vengeance, we, we're just going to leave that to you. We thank you that you, you died for our sins so that we could experience the, the forgiveness of sins and that we, we can live forgiven, Lord, and live in the, the, the joy of the Lord. Lord, we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Have a blessed week.